Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Republic of Football, presented by Dave Campbell's Texas Football, and also presented by North Texas Honda Dealers. It's their job to be helpful, and here to also be helpful to me, Greg Tepper, the managing editor of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Hello, Shahan. How are you? Hi. I did realize that I just forgot to introduce myself. Yeah, my you name did. Is, my name is Shahan J. Raja. I am the new college football reporter at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, and I'm in charge here. Oh, let's not go crazy. (laughs) Fine. I'm in charge on this podcast right now. I'll be leading our college coverage. I'm excited to get started. And, man, we already got started. Uh, Yesterday I was out there at UNT. I'll be obviously out on the road next week, hoping to be at Texas A&M on Thursday. Uh, College football season is officially upon us. It is officially upon us. And, you know, we're really excited here at Dave Campbell's Texas Football to to really expand our, our college football coverage. You know, that's something that... Uh, has always been, if you go back through the history of the magazine, the the magazine was in large part uh, built on the idea of celebrating the Southwest Conference. Um, obviously, sadly, we are not celebrating the Southwest Conference these days. But, uh, you know, we're, we're so much known for high school football coverage and stuff. But, you know, the, it, it's important to remember that the backbone of what we do is, is, is college football. It's, college football is usually on the cover. College football takes up half of our magazine, and college football is going to be a huge presence on TexasFootball.com going forward. So we're, uh, we're really excited to have you aboard, and um, we're, I'm, I'm actually surprised you made it through the first four days. <laughs> a little, just a little bit surprised. They, they haven't fired me as yet, uh, you know. So, so I'm still around, uh, still, still right here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And obviously, it's a great time to be part of Texas college football right now. Yeah, it is. It's you know, one of the great things about being at Dave Campbell's Texas football is that the whole state is your beat, and so. We've got the 12 FBS teams, but more so we've got 47 total college football teams across the state, including a defending national champion and a team that won a national championship in 2016 as well in Mary Hardin-Baylor. And so... You know, there, there's so many great storylines going on at, at all of these schools, and you know, especially at the at the FBS level, there's so much excitement in different regions of the state for different reasons. Whether it's new coaches at, at places like uh, you know UTEP and, and Rice and um, and SMU or NAM, or it's second year coaches, you know, like Tom Herman at Texas or Matt Rule at Baylor. Um, or Major Applewhite at Houston. There's a lot of really intriguing storylines around the state um, that I think make this a really fun time. Uh, This is before we get beaten down by having to... Inevitably, one of these teams will be unwatchable, one of these FBS teams, and so we will inevitably get beaten down by them but at the same time for now here on august 23rd it's a it's a fun time to be a texas college football uh aficionado yeah i couldn't agree more and, and just a little bit about me you know i i'm from texas i'm a coppell high school graduate just like greg this is the, this is this is part of the very quiet coup that coppell high school is making on the state of texas yeah not to mention that uh, somehow we've convinced them to move our offices right next basically to coppell high school but you know we're gonna we're just gonna slide past that do you think that's an accident I do not. I will tell you, (laughs) as a managing editor, I will tell you it is not. Well, anyway, also a Coppell High School grad. I also am a graduate of Baylor University. So TCU fans, when I only pick your team to win 10 games this year, uh, you know, in some silent coup, uh, that's because I hate your team because I obviously think that they're awful. (laughs) But, you know, in the last two years, I worked for Cox Media Group. I covered the Big 12 last year for DieHards.com. Rest in peace. R.I.P. But you know what? 
I always wanted to be back in Texas. Texas is really where my passions lie. And again, you just look at the state of, of Texas, uh, their college football scene. I mean, there's some incredible teams that are going to be playing this upcoming season. Obviously, it's easy to talk about Texas, Texas A&M, but TCU, again, is a national title contender, potentially, if some things fall right. Uh, Texas Tech, I think, is going to be fascinating this year, working through their quarterback situation. I was up at UNT for a reason. I think that Mason Fine is one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country, regardless of uh, group of five, power five, it doesn't matter. Uh, Graham Harrell is a great offensive coordinator. Seth Luttrell is a great head coach. I I mean, again, we are excited to be everywhere in the States. We don't want to just stick with Texas, Texas A&M. We'll cover them very closely, but I think that there are stories at every single level, and we're looking forward to bringing those to you. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, there's there's really no place like the state of Texas if you're a football fan, just because of the depth of, uh, and, and just the size and scope. Uh, that goes on here, and so for me, that's what's so exciting about about the this um, you know the beginning of college football season because you know like I went to school in Missouri, okay, I went to school at the University of Missouri, and up there it's basically Mizzou or bust. Yes, there's a couple FCS teams, Division two, II, Division three teams around there, but that's the only FBS team in town. It's it's not really a high school football state. Um, there's only a handful of recruits that come out of Missouri. And as a result, you know, the, the passion is there, but there's just not a ton to talk about. Texas is so singular in that regard in that the scope is so wide. And there's so many different varieties of teams. There's so many different varieties of, of coaches and personalities that it makes this state, I think, kind of unmatched as far as uh, as far as drama, as far as intrigue, as far as contenders. You know, we haven't had a real bona fide title contender since really since what 2014. It's been a few years, probably a couple since, years since the Baylor TCU uh, kind of uh, rise. And so, you know, we're probably due. It would be awesome if we were due. I'd love if we were due. Uh, but but the great thing is that there's a lot of really interesting teams out there, all for their different, all for different reasons, and a lot of intriguing players as well. You know, we mentioned, you know, we've talked, a t- uh, you know, ad nauseum about Ed Oliver, how great he is at Houston. Uh, a lot of really um, fascinating offensive pieces as well around the state. Guys who need to step up for their particular teams. You know, we're running through our our list of the uh, the 50 most important players in Texas college football this year on TexasFootball.com, and and that's what makes this so much fun here at the outset is that you kind of gaze across this vast landscape of texas and everywhere you look there's something interesting and that's that's what makes it so fun yeah absolutely and and we're really looking forward to finishing out that top 10 list you know today we just dropped sean robinson is number eight on the list and i think that's a great place to get started so tcu has officially named sean robinson the starting quarterback obviously had a standout career senior year at desoto before that at denton guyer this is a guy who really was very successful at the high school level won gatorade texas player of the year Uh, Now he has to come in to a program that's used to being successful and has really gotten used to good quarterback play in the past couple of years. You know, Greg, obviously you watched him very significantly Mm -hmm. in high school. I mean, what does Sean Robinson bring to the table? Sean Robinson is a guy who I don't think there's really any question has all of the tools to succeed. Um, He has a missile launcher attached to his shoulder. And he has some of the velocity that he puts on some of the sh- some of his throws are, um, I mean, they are not just next level; they are like NFL caliber. It's really, really impressive. Um, he is he is a bit of a freak show out there. And and the other thing that I really like about Sean Robinson is that he is uh, built. 
like a 21st century quarterback. He is 6'2". They list him, I think, at 227. Um, This is a beefy, beefy dude who hopefully he won't have to take the hits, but when he does, he's the kind of guy who can can absorb them. You know, when you talk about a guy... um, like, for example, Baker Mayfield last year. And I'm certainly not making that comparison. But what I will say is that one thing that we were talking about this in the office, one thing that people I don't think realize about Baker Mayfield is, yes, he's not he's not super tall, but he's built. He is he is a, a guy who is thick. And I think that if you're going to be a quarterback these days, you need to have that kind of thickness to you. And, and, and Sean Robinson definitely does. Um, I think that Sean Robinson, in his high school career, had a tendency to make some questionable decisions. But I also think that being on campus around Gary Patterson, around Sonny Cumbie, you know, around this, this offense, um, I think hopefully has helped him mature a little bit. And that's why I'm really excited to see what he does uh, at TCU now that he's gained the starting gig. This is a guy who, who, from a measurables perspective and from a tools perspective, they are all there. It's just going to be a matter of putting it all together. Right, and... and- what we saw when Sonny Cumbie and Doug Meacham came in as the offensive coordinators in 2014 was that they were able to take somebody who was also quite raw, Trevon Boykin, and, and really play to his skill set. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that you look at Cumbie's the, the sole guy there now, but I think that they're good at putting guys in positions to succeed. And you saw that even during the, the six and seven year with Kenny Hill, who was also sort of this you know unpredictable character while he was at Texas A&M. When he comes to TCU, you know, by the end of his career, he was a very solid quarterback who didn't make a lot of mistakes, wasn't put in a lot of bad situations. Now, the upside wasn't necessarily there as much either, and I think that that's where Sean Robinson mm-hmm. can, can stand apart is the amount of upside he has. But Texas, uh, TCU is really good at putting these guys in good situations, and he'll have help on the outside too, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know, Jalen Rager at wide receiver could be one of the best in the country. Kevontae Turpin is an electric playmaker. I-, I mean, there are weapons there on the outside if he's able to take advantage, but again, a lot of pressure is going to be on Sean Robinson. Well, and, and you're, you're exactly right. And one more thing about, you mentioned Trevon Boykin. You know, TCU has kind of built their program on the idea of doing more with less and taking these prospects that are maybe a little bit overlooked or maybe Texas and A&M didn't go after them and, and you know, and, and turning them into superstars. Um, TCU fans are immediately thinking of like four or five players that are just like, oh, yeah, he was a guy that they kind of took off. I don't mean it the way this is going to come out, but took him off the scrap heap and they turned him into an All-American. Um, Sean Robinson is not that. Sean Robinson is a bona fide blue chipper, and you know, for for the you know maybe the first time in a, in a long time, um, they're going to have a, a a legitimate blue chip guy at, at the at the quarterback spot. I mean, really, Andy Dalton was not that guy. He was solid coming out of Katy. Uh, Trevon Boykin was not that guy. He was solid coming out of West Mesquite. Just, Sean Robinson is that guy coming out of Desoto, and you're right. He is going to have a lot of talent around him. Um, Jalen Rager is amazing, and I think he's in for a, a, a breakout huge year. Pretty much that entire receiver core is back. I think that they're, I think the running game is really underrated with them, with, with Kyle, Kyle Hicks and Shewo Lanalua. Look, the bottom line of it is, if Sean Robinson is just good, TCU's got a chance to be special. But if Sean Robinson falters, 
then like they don't really have a great plan B. Like they've 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 really got to kind of because they don't have a guy like him. They're going to shape the offense kind of around what he does best. They don't have another guy like that. And as a result, if he struggles or he gets injured, the bail or the the TCU offense, I think, is going to be in a little bit of trouble. So you hate to come out and put this kind of pressure on a guy who's going to be you know. Did he start a game last year? He, he started one game. Started one game. Yeah, and and. Look, just looking at that game, it wasn't very impressive. He started against Texas Tech. Now it was on the road, and it was in very windy conditions. Mm-hmm. But he completed only 6 of 17 passes. And, right. and completion percentage has been an issue for him over yes. the years. That is absolutely. That is absolutely if you, you know, we, I talked earlier about velocity. If you want to talk about accuracy, that is not a strong suit for his. Right. Yeah. You know, his senior year of high school, you know, playing for DeSoto with a lot of playmakers around him, he only completed 58% of his passes at the high school level. And for his, uh, for his high school career, he only completed about 55% of his passes. Yeah, there was, you know, if, for, for those who don't remember, Sean Robinson, before he was at DeSoto, was at Denton Geyer. And he had a real breakout sophomore year. He was fantastic. And then his, his junior year, he stopped completing passes. Right. It was a really bad year for him. He ends up transferring to DeSoto for his senior year, guiding them to their first and only state championship. Accuracy is an issue. And... I don't care how good your receivers are if you can't get the ball to them on 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 time when it needs to be there then it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you have Jerry Rice, Randy Moss and you know I don't know name another great receiver Michael Irvin out there it doesn't matter. So yes, accuracy is going to be the thing to watch early and really throughout the entire course of the year because if the ac- because all the tools are there but if the accuracy ain't it, it really doesn't amount to hill of beans. Yeah, and if you look at TC's offense there are two pretty big uh, concerns on offense one they're re- they're replacing three offensive linemen mm-hmm. uh, including austin schlotman who obviously was a mainstay at the position now they bring back lucas niang and they bring back their left guard but that's three players who haven't necessarily played a lot before yeah. and tcu last year was able to be a really solid offensive team because they were able to run the ball so consistently mm-hmm. And if they're not able to do that, which, you know, there's plenty of reason to believe that TC will bring in other guys who can block well, but we just haven't seen it as yet. And if TCU can't run the ball consistently, I think that drastically limits what they're able to be offensively in general. Yeah, they've got, look, they've got some, they've got some high hopes for a number of players. Uh, I know that they are pretty high on this transfer, Anthony McKinney at the left tackle spot, Um, but... They are ultimately going to sink or swim based on that offense, offensive line. And when you've got a, you know, the the running game, I don't need to tell anybody this who who knows football. When you have a young quarterback back there who's still getting his feet underneath him, well, the running game can be his best friend because then it's like, okay, when all else fails, we can hand the ball off and we can get four yards. And we can set you up in second and six or something like that. To me, if if they're if they're not able to run the ball, that is that is arguably a bigger concern than Sean Robinson because if the offensive line is not you know is not is not up to snuff, is not able to to let the offense operate in the way that it the way that it wants to and really in a way in a way it needs to, um, then they're going to be in trouble and they're going to be in trouble early because the schedule is brutal. Um, even though they won't have to face Urban Meyer for some reason, um, they will. Um, you know, they 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 play Ohio State, then they get right into the meat of, of of their of their conference schedule. And so, for me, the offensive line has got to gel, and it's got to gel in a hurry. And if it doesn't, then that is a big red flag for the for the Horn Fox. Now, don't get me wrong; I think TCU's got a great chance to be really good. 
and probably an outside chance of winning the Big 12. But there are some there are some red flags, and they especially start on the offensive side. Right, right. And, and just to wrap this up, you know, if Sean Robinson doesn't have that running help, I mean, again, the, the wide receivers will be good. The, the running backs are talented. And the defense is obviously really good, but also losing Ross Blacklock at defensive tackle, that hurts a lot. Yeah, it does. It does. But I will also say this. Um, you're right. Ross Blacklock is a tremendous football player, and TCU would 100% rather have him than not. That is a real hot take, I know. But if TCU was going to lose an impact player, the place that they were most suited to lose one was on the defensive line. Because they bring back Ben Bonogu, they bring back Corey Bathley, they have Joseph Brodnax, they have LJ Collier, they, they have Dennis Collins, who I know they're particularly high on as a freshman. This Michael Epley is a senior transfer, I know they're high on him. So... I think, yes, again, I don't wanna I don't wanna understate how important, you know, a a playmaker and a known commodity like Ross Blacklock is. That said, if they were to lose Lucas Niang, and you could make an argument that Ross Blacklock is a better player than Lucas Niang, I think that's a reasonable argument. But if they were to lose their tackle, Lucas Niang, that would be a significantly more impactful loss than losing a guy, uh, you know, like Ross Blacklock, who again Excellent, but we'll need to, you know, we'll need to, to uh, it, they're, they're dealing from a position of strength there in my, in my mind. Sure. Well, moving along from TCU, another Texas team named their starting quarterback this week, and it's not a huge surprise, but Texas named quarterback Sam Ellinger as the starting quarterback for the opener against Maryland. Of course, uh, Shane Bouchelle got his shot at Maryland last year, didn't go so great. Now they have Sam Ellinger coming back. He's got most of a year of experience under his belt. Greg, what do you think that that Sam's going to be able to bring to the table? You know, the thing that the thing that I know that the Texas coaches really like about Sam Ellinger is that he is um, a little bit um, he he brings that running element, which I know that they they really like, and they 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 like the idea of having of, of having a threat in the backfield to run the ball. Um, furthermore, um, this is a guy who I think has a little bit better pocket presence that when the pocket does break down he is a little bit less deer in headlights than Shane Bouchelle was at times last year um again now this was not this was not a, a a guy who lit the world on fire but in his time I think that it's it's noticeable that Sam Ellinger was was better for longer stretches than Shane Bouchelle now that all being said let's also talk about kind of the elephant in the room which is that Sam Ellinger had a very bad tendency last year to make big turnovers at big moments. Now, we can certainly talk about whether or not that was a freshman thing. It, it, I think that that's certainly part of part and parcel with what you expect to being a freshman quarterback in the Big 12. That said, that's got to improve. He's got to be, be he's got to be more cautious with the ball. He's got to be he's got to be uh, you know, uh, uh, he's got to be better better with the ball. Uh, but, you know, you look at the numbers there are, you know, there's some number, according to Pro Football Focus, on 231 attempts last year, um, on 231 attempts last year, Shane Bouchelle threw 13 what they call turnover-worthy throws, okay? Threw the ball in a way that was, um, that you would expect a good team in the right position to turn it over. You know, now, you know, we can certainly argue with that. But in 62 more attempts... 
Sam Ellinger had one fewer turnover, uh, turnover-worthy throw. To me, that strikes that strikes me a little bit as part part of it's bad luck, right? Sam Ellinger was a little bit more unlucky than Shane Bouchelle, but he also put the ball in danger less than. Shane Bouchelle did. And when you add in that kind of running element, that tough running kind of short yardage element that I know that they want to have, especially with a running game that is kind of dicey right now, I think that if you are, I think this was to me, now that it's kind of been put out there, the more I think about it, I think it was kind of an obvious choice. Yeah, and by the end of the year last year, I think that it was obvious that Michelle couldn't be the guy, at least not behind this offensive line especially. I mean, think about Tom Herman, right? He's a guy who came from the Urban Meyer system, and whatever you want to say about uh, Ohio State, they aren't a pro-style offense. You know, they like to move with their quarterbacks. Just look at JT Barrett, Terrell Pryor, guys like that. Uh, You know, they want a guy who can move around, who can cause trouble with his legs and it was obvious it was really really obvious that texas was just better mm-hmm. when sam ellinger was on the field and now at the same time you know he did make some throws that were unacceptable obviously the one that comes to mind is the throw against oklahoma state where he just for whatever reason throws it to a defender and ends a comeback bid yeah uh you know and then there was another big interception against usc you know there were games that he won because of his ability, and there were some obvious games that he lost because of it, that uh, turnover proneness as well. The question is going to be to me how much he's grown and how much a year on campus in the system is going to uh, impact him. You know, I think that there is. I think that I think Tom Herman really did want this to be a competition. He wanted he wanted them to push one another, and I think that he got that. That said, I mean, let's also realize. Let's also remember that I think that there's a lot of there's a lot of gamesmanship going on here with naming a starter this late. Cliff Kingsbury literally told me at the Texas Sports Hall of Fame uh, back in April uh, about when you're you know when you're choosing a, when you're choosing a quarterback. He literally said. Well, yeah, I can't announce it because then they'll transfer. Like, and he said that kind of tongue in cheek, and he said it, well, you know, kind of jokingly. But there's a there's a there's a kernel of truth there, and and now, I think that it is a reasonable expectation to expect Shane Bouchelle, especially if Sam Ellinger stays healthy, which again is super 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 important to a guy who who was relatively injury prone last year. If he stays healthy, I think you can expect Shane Bouchelle suiting up for somebody else in 2019. Yeah, and again, it just became obvious mm-hmm. uh, that that Bouchelle just did not fit what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. And and again, we can talk about that offensive line and, and why that might be the case. Because again, like you talked about, Bouchelle does not have that pocket presence. He wasn't able to adjust on the fly. And that's what Ellinger did really well at times last season. Was he adjusted? You know, because... Once Texas lost Connor Williams uh, on the offensive line and lost Patrick Hudson and lost a couple more death pieces, there just wasn't much there. Mm-hmm. And they do come into 2018. They do get Hudson back. They do get a couple more death pieces back. They bring in Calvin Anderson at left tackle. But at the same time, this still might not be a very good offensive line. No, the, the offensive line is going to be a little bit of a problem. And, you know, w- w- not only that... You know the, the quarterback. I, I think we we pay both. Um, I think we, we pay both um, too much and not enough attention to. Um, and to me, this is a um, you know this is a team that 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 desperately, desperately, desperately needs their offensive line to come around. Um, you know, yes, we 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 talk about Sam Ellinger, but to me, there there's going to be. Um, 
you know, there's going to be a little bit of change up, up on the offensive line. That's going to be very important. The other thing for me is receiver. And they, frankly, they just don't have any that you know of that are, right. you know, um, known commodities. There's a reason that there's been a lot of talk around Andrew Beck, the tight end, and that's because they desperately need somebody who's a known commodity. Um, now, Colin Johnson has apparently all the upside in the world. His NFL upside. Um, I think Donovan Duvernay is is potentially very good. Uh, I think Ger- Gerard Hurd is a, is a very solid number three. You've got guys like John Burt. You've got guys, got guys you know, like little Jordan Humphrey. But for me, the the bottom line of it is somebody, somebody has to step up and be a viable threat if this Texas offense is going to, to go on. Because unlike unlike the with Sean Robinson, Sean Robinson is stepping in to a situation where as long as the offensive line blocks for him, he will have all the tools to succeed. Texas has an, is walking a tightrope where they're going to need new off. They're going to need some new offensive line to step up around guys like Patrick Bahe and, and Zach Shackelford. They're going to need guys to step up. Beyond that, they're also going to need some receivers to step up. And by the way, it would certainly help if they could get a running back to step up. And it may end up being Keontae Ingram, the freshman from Carthage. So there's a lot of question marks besides quarterback that just because they've settled on a guy like Sam Ellinger, and again, I think that it's a good move, and I think that it was smart of them, that doesn't end the questions. That only answers one of them. Right, and they do have some reinforcements coming in, obviously. You know, they're bringing in Brennan Eagles, they're bringing in Joshua Moore. They have guys coming, but like you said, they aren't proven commodities. And, you know, we can talk all we want about four- and five-star players, but Texas fans should know more than anybody that just because somebody has a bunch of stars by their name doesn't mean that they're going to produce. Yeah, it's, 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 a huge, it's a huge thing. And, and, and now, again, I think a lot of high upside guys. Just we're talking known commodities right now. There's just not a ton of known commodities in this receiver core. Well, let me ask: How far away are Cameron Rising or Casey Thompson from competing for that job? Um, I think I think Cameron. I'm 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 pretty high on Rising. Um, I think that he's a guy who who impressed at at, at the high. You know, um, who it, you know from everything that I've read, it impressed at the high school level. Um, this is a guy who is you know he was a four star kid. Good, you know, good size, six one two thirty five. I I have not I have not seen him in person, so I, I I hesitate to to make a broad generalization. I will say though that it would not surprise me, especially with the new uh, you know um, it would not surprise me, especially with the um uh you know with the the new redshirt rules. Um, it would not surprise me if they if Sam Ellinger struggles. I wouldn't be surprised if Cameron Rising is 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 put in there in some sort of in some sort of way as a spark because I do think that they they are very high on him. Everything that you read around them is that the, the coaches are really high on this kid from California. Um, I want to get some eyes on him before I make a broad generalization without you know instead of just echoing talking points. But I will say that that you know you talk to people around the Texas program and they think that he is the long term future for them. And what that means with regards to Sam Ellinger and what that means you know with regards to to, to Shane Bouchelle you know remains to be seen. I think it is going to be really interesting how that uh, new redshirt rule ends up impacting a lot of positions, but I think especially quarterback because, you know, in previous years, a guy like Thompson, for example, I, I don't think he plays, whereas this year, if you don't play him, maybe he starts getting upset, right? Right. And I think, you know, we were talking about this in the office the other day. 
I don't think we're making a big enough deal about this redshirt change. For those who don't know, now you can play up to, is it four games? Yes. Um, you can play in up to four games uh, and still redshirt. Um, that is such a tr- such a, a, a huge, huge shift that I would be really... I think that you're going to see teams change the way they operate based literally on this rule change. I think this is a huge, huge deal that we're probably not talking enough about. Yeah, and it's tough, too, because, for example, Texas brings in two quarterbacks this year, and they can't both play long-term, obviously. Mm-hmm. And you just wonder whether if, if Rising plays more time than Thompson does, does Thompson decide, okay, I'm going to get out now while I still can, while I still have four years of eligibility rich, uh, remaining. Yeah, you know, this is going to be this is going to be really interesting, and and I think that I think you'll need to um, I think we'll need to find out a little bit more about um, a little bit more about these guys and and how their makeup is and how important it is for them to see the field before we start making any any generalizations about whether or not they're going to transfer. But I will say that you know if Sam Ellinger is good, that has huge ripple effects all the way down the roster because Sam Ellinger is you know. He will, after this year, have two more years of eligibility. It strikes me as far-fetched to see him leaving early for the NFL. So if he is good this year, you could see as many as three quarterbacks transfer out of Texas, which would be quite something. Last question on Texas. Uh, You know, I I saw some people talking the other day about Jalen Hurts over at Alabama. Hmm. Um, Some were saying that what they think is going to happen is that Jalen Hurts is going to play less than four games, transfer out, and use that as his redshirt year, basically. Do you think that the staff at Tex would be open to doing something like that with Bouchelle? Um, I think that, yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of really intriguing options that come out if you are, um, if, if with this new redshirt rule, and that's certainly one of them, that let's just say Shane Bouchelle, let's say Sam Ellinger goes out there and lights the world on fire and through four games everyone's talking about oh my gosh is Sam Ellinger a a Heisman candidate I think at that point there is a a very real possibility that that Shane Bouchel goes to them and says listen I'm not going to create a distraction I'm not going to come out and say I'm transferring but at the end of the year I'm transferring please do not put me in more than four games and I feel like at that point for them they, Texas is now at the point where they have enough depth at quarterback that they could say, okay, cool, we can do that for you because we'll put in Cameron Rising if we need another quarterback or you know, we'll, we'll put in uh, Casey Thompson if we need to. And Shane Bouchelle would then be able to keep that extra year of eligibility and, and go on to, to somewhere else. So there's a little bit of gamesmanship that's going to be going on there that I'm really intrigued by. And I think, again, a lot of it, it, it all depends on if Sam Ellinger stays healthy and is effective. If he is, then there are major ripple effects that go down. And if even if he's not, then there's major ripple effects. Because if Shane, let's say Shane Bouchelle has to come in and save the day, and suddenly it's it's it you know the shoes on the other foot as it was last year, I think that there is a lot of intrigue to be had uh, at the Texas quarterback situation. Uh, just because they have start, just because they've named the quarterback, does not mean that this drama is over. So let's move on. You know, one quarterback situation is solved. The other is still looks to be open. Uh, Texas A&M released their depth chart today. And as of right now, Jimbo Fisher's not prepared to say whether Nick Starkle or Kellen Mond will start next Thursday against Northwestern State. Is that a surprise to you? Um, a little bit. Um, of only because I feel like 
Jimbo Fisher in his history has been a guy who wants to come out and say, this is my guy. I'm sticking with this guy. I've determined that this is, this is the person that's going to lead our program. This is, to me, this, this strikes me as, you know, one of two things. And it depends on who you ask around the, the, the Texas program, or the A&M program, rather. Either both of them have done an equal number of pretty good things, and they feel like it is too close to call. Or neither of them have impressed Jimbo Fisher. And I think if you're an A&M fan, you would have really preferred somebody come out and say, uh, somebody come out and be like, this is my job. You would have preferred that Nick Stark will come out and, and, and dazzle in, you know, dazzle in spring practice and, you know, over summer workouts. And it'd be very clear that he's the guy. It, it sounds like that's what happened at Texas, is that Sam Ellinger just pulled ahead of Shane Bouchelle and never let, let go. It sounds like that has not happened. Now, whether that means that they are both pretty good or both pretty mediocre remains to be seen. I will say that it is a little bit surprising. I find it surprising because I thought Mond was as the more mobile threat. This is just speaking of the history of, of where what Jimbo Fisher has liked from his quarterbacks. He likes guys who are able to move. And Kellen Mond is unquestionably, I think, the more mobile quarterback. It is probably, if you're Kellen Mond, it is probably a little bit more worrying that you have not won the job than it is for Nick Starkle. I think that right now this would be this would be a the kind of thing that if I'm Nick Starkle, I feel just again this is, I don't have any inside information or anything like that. Just judging based on what Jimbo Fisher has done in the past on quarterback spot, I would say that Nick Starkle has got to be feeling pretty good about his spot, knowing full well that he is beaten from the athleticism perspective, but he is still, he is still in, the, in, in the race. Uh, that is, it is a little bit surprising to me in that regard. Yeah, what's bizarre to me about not naming a quarterback as yet is that these are two guys who are very different. Oh, yeah. You know, Kellen Mond, like, like you mentioned, he's very athletic. Not quite as accurate, whereas Nick Starkle's kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and Starkle can move all right. You know, it's not like he's a statue necessarily. Correct. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if you're a play caller, if you're Daryl Dickey, and you're going out there and you don't know how you're going to build your offense, and it's right now one week before the season starts, that's concerning to me. Because, again, if they, if they decide that Kellen Mond is their guy then they can go in and they can add some read option. They can add some things that they get him in a bootleg more often. You know, just things to get him in motion to make the defense defend 11 guys. But if it's Nick Starkle, you can't do that stuff. And maybe you can add more elements in the passing game. And the fact that they don't know what exactly they want to do one week before the season starts is concerning. And now, against Northwestern State, that's not that big a deal. Week two, you host Clemson. Let me, let me play devil's advocate here. And let me, let me suggest to you, and I don't know if I even buy this, but let me suggest to you that Jimbo Fisher is playing 40 chess. <laughs> let's, and, let's and you are going to see equal parts. You are going, I, I, think there is, I think it's very reasonable that there are two different game plans going into Northwestern State. Let's, let's be honest. Texas A&M is not going to lose Northwestern State. I will never appear on this podcast again if Northwestern State beats Texas A&M. Okay? <laughs> I don't think that College Station will survive. I don't think College Station will survive either. If Jimbo Fisher loses his opener on Thursday night against Texas against Northwestern State, I think I think CSTAT will burn. Okay? So, I'm comfortable saying they're going to win that game. Okay? Bold. 
if you thank you if you are Jimbo Fisher and your season and really your tenure at Texas A&M fundamentally starts on September 8th I am I am build I am using Northwestern State as making them game plan for two quarterbacks. Sure. And I think I think that you I think you put out Kellen Mond for for the first series and I think you put out Nick Starkle for the second series and I think you alternate and you go back and forth so that Dabo Swinney is looking there and he's going, "Okay, we have the game plan for both of these quarterbacks." Now, again, I don't know if I even buy that theory, but I also think that it is I think there's reasonable it's reasonable to expect that Jimbo Fisher doesn't want to show his hand, knowing full well that basically his season doesn't start until September eighth. And knowing full well, by the way, that if he wins on September eighth, then suddenly they are not just in a good spot. They are thrust into suddenly a national title picture. Right. Um I think that I think that I think it's I think maybe there's a little bit of gamesmanship going on there, um, or I'm totally wrong. It's yeah. one of the, it's one of the two. Well, I think that you do look at the situation, and it, it does remind me a lot of the Texas situation last year, where I think that Nick Starkle's a better quarterback. Mm-hmm. I think he's a better player. I think that he can go out there and do things with the football from an accuracy perspective that Mond really struggles to do. At the same time, like Texas last year, Texas A&M's offensive line has a lot of rebuilding to do. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, again, we saw what Clemson did against Auburn last year where they had, what, 10 sacks against Jarrett Stidham? I mean, the reality is, if they have a guy who's only going to stand there upright, he might be dead by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's just a lot to take into account. And then on top of that, week four, you go and play Alabama. Mm-hmm. So... It and by the get, way, and by the way, talk yes. about talk about the strengths of what Clemson and Alabama both do very well. Their defensive lines are incredible. Clemson probably has the best defensive line in the country, and Alabama's ain't lunch meat. Right. To me, that you know, that's kind of why I wonder. Even if Nick Starkle is the better player and the better quarterback, I wonder if Kellen Mond is maybe a better fit for the situation at A&M, knowing full well that the offensive line is going to need to gel in a hurry and figure things out. And if, and by the way, on September 8th, you've got the best defensive line in the country rolling into your barn, ready to murder anybody who is standing in the, in the pocket. And so I don't know it, it there, the, this is super intriguing to me. And I think we'll find out a lot about how Jimbo Fisher operates, not just this year, but in the future of this 10-year contract, based on what we see over the next two weeks. If Jimbo Fisher comes out of week four, three and one, in any way, it, it doesn't matter whether he, who he beats, if he comes out three and one, they might sign him to a 10-year extension on top of that. They, I mean... They are literally playing the number one and number two team in the country. Right. They are literally playing the top two teams in the country. And, yeah, if he beats either of them, they might, they might build a statue of them. I mean, especially with, with a team that we don't expect to be um, a contender yet. You no. know? Down the road, yes. Yeah. Right now, mm-mm. Yeah. Right. And you do look at this roster. Mm-hmm. It's not built to win this year. No. And, and I think I think I think you talk to A and M fans, and they will say the same thing. Right, and so now at the same time, we saw what happened with Kevin Sumlin, where maybe he set the bar a little too high in year one. Mm-hmm. 
cost him his job. Right. And so, I don't know. There's a lot of dynamics at play these first four weeks of the season. It's going to be really interesting to watch. Um, you know, and, and again, like you said, and looking at AM's roster, looking at their schedule, looking at what they have right now and what they know they have, this team is not prepared to win. No, not it's not prepared to win at 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 the level to contend for the at SEC a top West. Five level, no, correct. You which know, is what you have to do to right. win the and the SEC West. You have to be a top five team right. to win the division. Right now, they're not a top five team, and so there's a pretty good chance that A and M will actually. It would be shocking if A and M did not come out of that stretch two and two. Yes, I think that's fair, and I think that. You know, while you want to have high expectations of Jimbo Fisher, and the reality is, if you start two and two, if if Jimbo Fisher starts his tenure at A and M two and two, people are going to have some takes, and I think that that will be unfair, obviously. But uh, in you know, with Jimbo again, he signed to a tenure contract. He's going to get paid seventy five million dollars one way or another. A and M fans will have to be patient. I think that's I think that's fair, and I think that I I you know. F- Maybe this is just in my interactions with Aggies. I think that most Aggies understand, and they say, "Okay, let's let Jimbo cook. Let's let him. Let's let him work a little bit, and let's let him get his guys in here." And it's not fair to judge him based on the first twelve games. Now that said, it's easy to say that on August twenty third, but. If we are on November 3rd and Texas is eight and or Texas has just moved to seven and two, eight and one on the season, right. and Kevin Sumlin has just moved Arizona to eight and one on the year, and Texas A&M has just lost to Auburn and suddenly they are uh, four and five maybe they changed their tune a little bit. It's easy to do that. It's easy to have that kind of perspective right now than when you're in the throes of college football season. But I do think that's got to be pounded into the table for, for anybody who's watching A&M is that this is not the year. It is a, it is, it is a year to rebuild. And I think that it's, you know, this podcast will sound very silly if Texas A&M goes 11 and two. But I also think that, if you are if you are Jimbo if you are a, a somebody who wants to see the Texas A and M program succeed in the long term and get to the level that they're paying Jimbo Fisher to get that level to, it's not going to happen in one year, in my opinion. Let's finish up. Uh, you know, again, I went up to UNT on Thursday. Mm-hmm. You know, UNT has a really special quarterback, uh, Mason Fine. Um, excuse me, on Wednesday I went up. Mason Fine. When you walk up to see him, he does not look like much, and. and Seth Luttrell even said, you know, before he showed up, that this kid sometimes doesn't look like he belongs on the same field with the rest of his roster at UNT. But, and he walks up and and he looks like a high school kid. I mean, he really, really looks like a high school kid. I mean, Mason Fine is listed at 5'11", 180 pounds, and... I don't mean to call the North Texas Athletic Department a bunch of liars... But <laughs> he's not 5'11", 180 pounds. Right. He's not. And, right. and and look, we all goose the numbers. Everyone gooses the numbers. We, under, we understand it. But when you stand next to him, you realize how small he is, not just height-wise, but he's just kind of slight. I think he's put on a little bit of weight this offseason. I think that was a big thing for them. But to me, all that does is make him more remarkable. 
Yeah. I, I mean, when you look at him, and even look at him next to his teammates, right? And I mean, not that UNT necessarily has these 350-pound monsters by any means. No. But if you just see him next to his teammates, he does look like he doesn't belong. But you know what? That dude could be one of the most special quarterbacks in the nation this year. And and going into the year, I think he has to be considered the best quarterback in the state, right? I think so. And uh, But, you know, part of that is that there are at the places where you traditionally find the best quarterback in the state, Tech, um, Texas, A&M, all going through transitions, all trying to find it. Baylor, Charlie Brewer, I think again has a lot of upside, but he could be. he could be, but he's not. I don't think it's I don't think it's I don't think it's fair to give him that. Ben Hicks at SMU is is a known commodity, but he has been really loose with the football. Uh, Derek King just took over halfway through the season at Houston. Right, uh, Rice is still looking for a quarterback. Texas State is still deciding on a quarterback. Uh, UTEP is is still deciding on a quarterback. Um, all of these other places that that kind of by default Mason finds the best quarterback in the state. Even if it wasn't by default, I mean, this was a guy, there were eight quarterbacks who threw for 4,000 yards last year, and one of them was Mason Fine. Yeah. He threw for 4,000 yards. He threw for more quarterback. He threw for more yards than Drew Locke, who everybody's going crazy about. He threw for more yards than Nick Sheminek at Texas Tech. He threw for more yards than, than Josh Rosen. He threw for more yards than Luke Falk at, at, at Ding Dong Washington State. <laughs> this is... I think he's special, and I think that, and I think that m- most importantly, that he is a guy who Seth Luttrell found, squirreled away. Nobody else wanted him, and for all these years, I mean, we we pretty much we put um, Cliff Kingsbury on our cover of our magazine as the kingmaker, right? Because he's the quarterback whisperer. Okay, because he is, because he's got this ability, and he still is. I mean, look, he Pat, he's turned Pat Mahomes into a superstar, right? And he was responsible in in some in some measure of de- in degree to for the success of Johnny Manziel. But right now, Seth Luttrell has done the best job of finding a quarterback, identifying a quarterback, and saying, "This is my guy." Um, and finding that diamond in the rough, and, and that's what makes him so special. And what makes North Texas so fun this year? Yeah, and, and you look at that list of eight quarterbacks who threw for 4,000 yards. There are exactly two guys returning on that list. Mm-hmm. Mason Fine at North Texas and Mackenzie Milton at UCF, who I also think is an incredible player. Who was, yeah, who was the AAC Player of the Year last year, maybe Offensive Player of the Year. He, was, he had some sort of big superlative from the American Athletic Conference um, and, by the way, guided the only undefeated team in the nation. It is a who's who of quarterbacks. And I think... I hope that if North Texas starts to starts to cook in the way that we think they could, I hope that people start to notice what's happening under center and that it's not just, you know, there's going to be a lot of focus on Seth Luttrell because I think there's a fair chance that Seth Luttrell is the hot name in coaching next year. Um, kind of in the same way that before Jimbo Fisher came onto the, came onto the market, um, that Chad Morris was kind of looking like that guy. I think there's a fair chance that it's Seth Luttrell next year. I hope people notice the quarterback he recruited and that they're not just saying, oh, this whole team's really good. And the whole team's really going to be really good, but this guy's special. And, and I feel like because he plays in Conference USA and because he plays in Denton, Texas, and because uh, you know th- this, is not a, this is not a brand name program, if he was doing what he's doing at North Texas at Tech or Houston... We'd be going nuts. 
the whole nation would be going nuts. But if he feels like the best kept secret in, in the country. Well, let me ask you a question. Do you know how many times North Texas has won 10 games in its program history? Um, I knew at one point, but I don't know. Well, you do know the answer because it's zero. Mm-hmm. They've never won 10 games. Is that right? That's right. I'm going to – hold on. <laughs> All right, fact check me. They've never won 10 games before. Did they not win – when they went and won the Dallas – the um, the that bowl in the Harden Dallas Bowl, um, or – uh, no, that's right. In 2013 with Jay McCarney, they went 9-4. and four. Yeah. You are absolutely right. Wow. They've won 10 games zero times. Now, with that said, hmm. what are reasonable expectations for this team? Um, and we can pull up their schedule. To I'm going to pull up their schedule. Yeah. Um, I'll, be, I'll be honest. Yeah. They absolutely, positively should win their division. Yes. Florida Atlantic looms. Yes. But I think especially they get FAU at home. Right. Um, I think if you are... Ooh, and they got a tough schedule, too. They do have a tough schedule. Uh, but I will say that this is a team that um, I think is really... I think I think this is a really, really solid team the question is going to be defensively can they can they get what they need especially from the front seven which looks like it could be pretty dicey this year but i think a lot of it starts um i think the whole season kind of hinges i hate to say it but in the opener if they beat smu uh then they are going to be two and oh if you're beating incarnate word they go to arkansas you have to assume that's a loss but then at liberty is a winnable game Louisiana Tech at home is a winnable game. At UTEP, you, you better win. Southern Miss at home is a, win, a game you should win. At UAB, I think UAB is going to be down. I think that that's a winnable game. Rice at home, you better win. Old Dominion at Old Dominion is a win. You get Florida Atlantic at home, okay, we, we don't really know. I think right now you have to give it to the, to the Owls, but then you're at, at UTSA and they'll be favored in that one. And so they're going to have a lot of games. They're going to have a lot of games that, are, that, they, that a good team wins. A good team beats SMU. A good team beats Louisiana Tech at home. A good team beats you beats goes on the road and beats UAB. Those are the games that this is going to turn on. And so, look, I think they I think they should win their division. Um, I think they are no worse than co favorites to win Conference USA. And I think that they are potentially the breakout team of 2018. But again, as much as we, we gush over this offense, and their offense is really, really, really good, their receiving core is, is I think, potentially excellent. The question to me is going to be defense. And if that defense puts together something and, and they find some depth because the front seven's pretty thin, if they do that, then, then the sky's the limit for this team because I think that they have the chance to be really, really special. Yeah, talk about that opener. You know, uh, UNT linebacker EJ Ijaya said that this is, to them, is the battle for the Metroplex. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, with all respect to TCU's kind of, you know, they're in a class of their own, of course. Yeah, at least, it, let's, let's call it the, the east side of the Metroplex. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Again, you, uh, obviously TCU sort of owns the Metroplex. But, but once you kind of get below TCU, I mean, it's the battle for the Metroplex. And, you know, SMU has a decent amount of expectations coming into this year uh you know they made their first bowl game in a while and now with Sonny Dykes there again they've got a coach who had some success at the power five level um you know have a good receiving core have an experienced quarterback you know this should be a really exciting game Mm -hmm. and I think that it'll tell us a lot 
about both of these teams, and we'll talk about it more in depth next week mm-hmm. in advance of the game. But uh, I think it's I think it's a huge game for both teams, right. and I think that um, I think there's a lot on the line for both teams, and 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 it's it's a reason I'm going out there is that I think this this team is going to be. Um, I think this this team, both these teams have a chance to be that team that in week nine we were like, man, this team is like, like, oh, we're talking about so and so or so and so, but like this is maybe the best team in the in, in the state. But uh, it all starts in that opener, and it all starts with you know two teams that have quarterbacks that are known commodities, one team who has a great receiver core, one team who has a defense that is certainly better than the other, um, and the games. At Apogee Stadium at night, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the biggest games that there's been there in a long time, honestly. And, you know, you look at that schedule again. At Arkansas, probably a loss. You have to assume it's a loss. Uh, They host FAU, and let's even just say that's a loss, right? And and I don't think by any means that's definitive. I have my questions about FAU, but go on. Right, sure, but let's just say... You know, this SMU game is going to be huge in terms of getting to 10 wins. Getting to 10 wins. Now, remember, if they win their division, they do get a, a shot at probably at FAU again right. in a conference title game, and then they would get a bowl. Um, so they could they could have 14 shots to win 10. Um, that said, I think it's there, and I think they've got an opportunity to do it if things break right, especially defensively. Yeah. Republic of Texas official, uh, official position is we are high on UNT this year. The, I Repu- think the Republic of Football is pro-UNT. I want to go on the record. <laughs> All right. Well, hey. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me for our first comeback edition of the Republic of Football. We'll be back twice a week, starting next week once the season gets underway. Uh of course, the Republican football is brought to you by your North Texas Honda dealer. It's their job to be helpful. I can attest. I actually have a Honda from a North Texas Honda dealership. Wow, an endorsement. Uh, I know, I know. I mean, I did not get it for free, unfortunately. So we'll have to <laughs> we'll have to uh, figure out that we'll side that of things. Deal. Yeah, yeah, we'll work on that. But uh, but thank you so much to North Texas Honda dealer for supporting our program. Um, and guys, we're just getting underway. Football season. Kind of starts this weekend with a with a week zero game Rice versus uh, versus Prairie View A and Do you want to make a pick? <laughs> I'm going to pick Rice. I think that the Mike Bloomgren era gets off to an okay start. I will. I I I I'm afraid to admit how much of that game I'm going to watch, which is a ton. Uh, the only thing I'll say about that game. Preview A&M's got a quarterback in Nico Hollins, uh, formerly of Fourth Bend Hightower, uh, that you want to keep an eye on. He is pretty special, but in the end, I do think Mike Bloomgren and the fight now is to 1-0. Yeah, and, and Rice should be very interesting this year. I think, uh, I mentioned to you off the air, um, I think that they've got a chance to be fun. Maybe not good, but fun. And you know what? After last season, I think that Rice fans would take fun. And you know what? If you were going to make a hire at Rice University... Is there any person better than getting a coordinator from Stanford? I love it so much that I can't even put it into words. It's such a great hire, and we had him on the show. We had him on our show, Texas Football Today, um, and he is so fired up to be there, and he's so clearly bought in on what he's doing there at Rice, and he so clearly believes that they can that he can make Rice uh, the Texas version of Stanford. And uh, I'm just excited to see what he does, and it all gets kicked off on Saturday evening. Absolutely. Well, hey, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. This is Shahan J. Raja for Greg Tepper. Uh, This has been the Republic of Football, and we will be back with you guys next week.